0: Thanks. Thanks so much. <clears throat> it's really nice to be with you. I'm sorry about the croaky British accent. I hope you can understand. Uh, started with a cold in the week. Um, I said to Kettlebrook, if you need a nap and you can't understand me, feel free to have a little sleep. Um, yeah, um, I was born in England, um, so I had 10 years uh, working in the inner city with a, ch- a church there because uh, we really had a desire to reach the poorer areas of the city where they wouldn't naturally kind of come to church, so we we lived in the, um, we call them council estates, but it, um, just the, the poorer areas of uh, the north of England. And from there, I moved to South Africa and did some church planting in the townships there. I lived in the townships for five years, and then I moved to Burundi, which is Central Africa, and trained local Burundian missionaries to take the gospel two Burundians, but also into the unreached people groups in uh, North Africa. Um, but I've got to say that raising two babies under two is much harder than ten years in Africa. <laughs> in all seriousness, um, you know, the, I think the last year we are totally in survival mode, which I'm sure many of you can relate to, um, on four hours sleep a night, because the little one just doesn't sleep. Um, And I say that to you because my relationship with God doesn't feel as connected as it has been in the past uh, because we are in this season of life where it really is survival. I wanted to be honest with you in that because we're starting this mission fest thing and it might be difficult, you might find it difficult to even connect with it or connect with God because of the season of life that you're in. Um, My hope for you and for me um, is that we really hear God's voice, and that we connect with Jesus, and we can connect with the call on our lives to make disciples, and you'll find your part um, in what he's calling you guys to do as a community. So, let's start. The, um, the verse that we're looking at this morning is Romans fifteen twenty. if you could pull that up. Um, I'm reading from here because I don't want to turn around. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, Romans 15, verse 20. Paul writes, my ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard, rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. I've been following the scriptures where it says, those who have never been told about him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. This is Paul writing to the Roman church, and he's writing about his heart and his passion to reach those who've never heard the gospel and who have got no access to a church, no access to the gospel, and there's no witness for them. He's he's writing to the Roman church, to all believers. And we know from um, Romans 16 that there's multiple congregations that he's writing to with the intention to introduce himself, to share about who he is, his passion, so that they will partner with him to take the gospel westward, romans fifteen eighteen to twenty three talks about Paul um, essentially saying that he's accomplished sharing the gospel from Jerusalem to modern day Bulgaria, so the eastern Mediterranean is is finished. He wants to take the gospel into Spain into the west where people have got no access to the gospel. And he's wanting the Roman church to be a base of operations to partner into that new territory. Okay, So he's not writing, like he does in some of the other letters, kind of corrective to the congregation. He's, it's a totally um, different vibe that he's writing about. Um, and if you put the next verse up, This is what he says. He says, I'm fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. You know these things so well that you can teach each other all about them. Even so, I've been bold enough to write about some of these points, knowing that all you need is this reminder. Okay? Now, as a community, you've got the same heart as Paul. You're wanting to make disciples in your community And you're you're supporting the work of reaching unreached people groups through sending missionaries, financially, through partnership. Um, You're doing all those things. So in some ways, I can just say, just like Paul, I can see that you can teach all the things that I'm going to share today to one another. Nothing I'm going to share is going to be new. But permit me to give you some reminders Because sometimes we need some reminders to keep us on track, to keep us on course. We get weary. Sometimes the fire can dim a bit. Sometimes we can get slightly off track. But we need reminders, these truths, to keep us going, to encourage us on the path that God's got for us. So my desire is that these reminders will help to strengthen you. Um, and affirm you in the call that God's placed on you as a community, and for you to find your place within that. So the first reminder is the gospel itself. Okay? Romans one to twelve, Paul expounds the whole gospel as a reminder to the Romans, okay and He starts off Romans one verse two. God promised his good news long ago through his prophets in the holy scriptures. The good news is about his son. Verse 16. I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work saving everybody who believes. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. That sums up the whole gospel. God makes a way. So that we can become right with him. And it's by faith in Jesus. Now, um, I was 18 when I met my first Christian. Less than 2% of people in England even go to church, um, let alone really follow Jesus. So the first time I heard the gospel, I was 18. I, um it's common in Europe to go on like a gap year, where you take a year out um, and do kind of voluntary service overseas. So I went to South Africa at 18 to teach um, English and sports uh, in, a, in a squatter camp in some of the schools in Johannesburg. Now, um, a bunch of 18-year-olds, uh, there was about 25 of us there placed in different Projects around South Africa all got together one Christmas um, and decided to go traveling and you know we did stupid things. Um, we decided to go surfing, and we 'd never surfed before, um, so ten of us took our surfboards out and we all got thrown off now nine of them, not me, decided to swim towards the rocks because it was the only way that if we were going to survive, we could get out and So they took the risk of being dashed against the rocks, whereas I'm not the best swimmer, so I just got stuck. And I was stuck in the ocean um, for about 20 minutes, and I was getting tired, and the waves were getting bigger and bigger. And it got to the point where I didn't know where up or down was, and I didn't know whether I'd be able to surface. And I was on the bottom of the ocean, my lungs were filling up, and that's the first time I ever prayed in my life and said, God, if if you're real, you know, help me. Um, I felt these arms around me, um, and this guy was on a surfboard. The beach was deserted, and he dived down, picked me up, put me on the surfboard, took me to the shore, put the surfboard next to me, and then just walked off. Didn't tell me his name, didn't ask me how I was, nothing. And my first Christian that I met ran up to me on the shore and said, Are you all right, Jen? And I said, I thought I was going to die. And she said, I was praying that you wouldn't die until you met Jesus. Now, I'm convinced that man was an angel. Now, at the time, I wasn't sure. And that took me about a year of really intentionally searching to decide to receive and follow Jesus. Um, So I remember what it's like to not know Jesus. I remember what it's like to not have hope. I came from a pretty broken um, background, and I thought that if I, if I went overseas, I could reinvent myself. The problem is you take yourself with you, and you, uh, and you face all the same things that you would face here. Um, so I, I remember what it's like to hear the gospel for the first time and have hope in a way that I'd never done before. And I think sometimes when we, when we grow up in a, in, a, you know, in a relatively Christian country where there's lots of churches, and we kind of hear it a lot, and we know the drill, we forget just how good the good news is. And we forget the height from which we've fallen from. Whereas in, in Africa, um, there's an urgency for the gospel that i don 't see here in Western churches, and I think some of the reason for that is in Africa, sin and death is so real every day um, but in in America, nobody talks about sin, and no one no one talks about death we uh, We kind of live in denial that it's even going to happen, um, and I find that there's this apathy in the Western churches, and forgive my bluntness, um, but in the West it's just much more of a comfortable road to hell. It's just the same as in anywhere else in the world, but we think that, we think that oh, everyone's a good person and they're having a nice life and they're quite moral. That's, that's missing the point. It's not the gospel. The gospel isn't to make you a better person and to be more moral. The gospel is that we were dead. And there's nothing we can do about it outside of Jesus. It's a miracle that he brings us to life. And everybody walking around needs a miracle because they're dead. Whether you're in the West, whether you're in the developing world, we need to grasp that urgency again of just how good news can change our life to bring us to life. Outside of the cross, outside of the resurrection of Jesus, there is no hope. There is no hope in this world outside of the resurrection. Um, could you just put up the uh, photograph? Okay, um, this guy in the red, his name is Vital. Um, he's only known five years of peace in his lifetime. His whole family was wiped out. Um, he's just got his mum left. Um, in the war. They were all killed. Um, he's had periods where he's had to live on the street because he's living in such poverty. Um, but he has got a passion and a calling on his life to reach the unreached tribe that's in Burundi. There's three tribes, and the third tribe is the Batwa. And these uh, Batwa live in grass huts. They've got no access to the gospel, they've got no healthcare, they've got no schooling because they're considered as dogs. So the other tribes aren't really allowed to associate with them. Now Vital is 34 and unmarried, which is unheard of in Burundi. That's because nobody will marry him because of the work that he's doing to reach this community. He's always on his own because nobody will go with him. (laughs) And I I had the privilege of coaching and mentoring him, but really he mentored me because he would always ask me, is your... Do you still have that compulsion to share the gospel? Do you still have that compassion to reach those who have never heard of God? Last one, last last slide. He would walk for three hours to that group. Um, he taught himself English while he was on the street so that he could do a theological degree in English. And he's teaching himself Mandarin because he wants to go eventually to the unreached tribes in China. I wasn't mentoring him. (laughs) He was totally mentoring me. He is like Paul in terms of his passion and compassion to make disciples and make the gospel known. To a community who's got nothing, and I've got no access. Okay, the second reminder is call. Okay, when you read the book of Romans, it's so. It, it's so. Um, when Paul's introducing himself, he, he calls himself a slave of Christ. Paul is so single-minded. And focused on the call of his life to make disciples. There's no wavering. Okay, he says that it's, his call is to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. So the design of the gospel is to bring people to obedience. Okay, the design of the gospel is to make disciples. It's not just the truth to be believed, it's a lifestyle of obedience to walk out. Paul's passion is to make disciples and in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 19, he writes to the Thessalonian believers and he says, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before Jesus when he returns, it is you. At the end of his life, Paul looks at the reward and crown, and it's the disciples that he's made. That's the same call on our life. When we stand before Jesus, our reward and crown, the pride will be in the people that we've discipled in our life. So many churches get excited about making disciples and even trying to reach the unreached just for a season. But it's lifelong. We never move on. There's nothing to move on to. Making disciples and reaching the unreached is the thing. (laughs) because Jesus says, when you do that, the end will come. Our whole life is to prioritize making disciples and supporting the work of those if we're not called to the front line, making disciples in unreached people groups. When we look at Paul's life, he was converted at the age of 28, 29. This letter to the Romans was actually written 24 years later, which would make him in his mid to late 50s. He did his first missionary journey when he was in his early 40s. His second missionary journey in his late 40s. And this is his third missionary journey. He's writing from Corinth in his mid-50s. Potentially, he dies five to ten years after this letter. Martyred. Okay? We see that in every season of Paul's life, his focus, his call is exactly the same and he's as passionate about it and as obedient about it in every decade. So I ask the question, are we as passionate about sharing the gospel and making disciples as we were when we were 20 or 30? It seems as the decades move on, we get more stuff, more things, more responsibilities. More, more everything, and it's, we don't take those faith risks that we would when we were younger. And youthful zeal might get you 10 years, but I don't want to leap, limp across the line however long I've got left. I want to be as passionate as committed and obedient to God to make disciples, more so in my 50s, I'm in my 40s now. Um, over the summer, I realized that actually my passion had, had, had gone down and I was really struggling. Um, and it really, it re- I really struggled with that um, in this season that we're in. So um, I fasted as, as Lord, I'm going to fast every week because that's probably what I can manage at the moment. Um, please birth that same passion that's in you again and give me that hunger again. You know what frightened me the most coming back to the West? It was to become lukewarm. Many uh, many people used to ask me in Burundi, um, "Were you ever in danger?" Yeah, we were. We um, we could have died several times. But to live is Christ; to die is gain. What scares me most is to become lukewarm, because. Jesus spits out the lukewarm. The church in Laodicea is called lukewarm. And unfortunately, the Western church can resemble the church in Laodicea. I'm far more afraid of becoming lukewarm than dying. That's not the worst thing that can happen to me. That's why I got on my knees and started fasting. Now, every season is different. Our passion needs to stay the same. And our obedience is the a, is a decision, not a feeling, to that calling. But it looks different. I'm not saying you need to go to the front line. It looks different for each one of us. And I don't know what it looks like for you. For me in this season, you know, every day is full of diapers and vomit. Um, <laughs> but what can I do? That's why I've written this book. All the money from the book goes to Burundi. It goes to people like Vital to resource those who are on the front line. I, wanted to, I, I want to use that, that story to generate some income to partner with those who are on the front line. I can do that in this season. It's taken me three years, but I'll, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> I don't know what it looks like for you. It's different in different seasons. You have to figure out, in this season that you're in, what can it look like for you? That's why I go on to the third reminder, which is gifts. Romans 12, verse 4. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. We're all different. And we all have different gifts. I find that comparison is crippling the body of Christ in the West. Because we all want to be somebody else with their gifts. And what happens is we don't take responsibility for what God's given us. Because we kind of want to be someone else. Romans 14 verse 2 says we all will give account to God. At the end of our lives, of what we did and what we didn't do. So we have to take responsibility with the gifts and the stuff that God's given us. That means financial. That means education. I I sat in one of those uh, grass huts with a family, and their four-year-old boy, um, he just had this ripped, dirty t-shirt on, was holding his two-year-old daughter. Uh, sorry sister who had chronic diarrhea and she had no clothes on and it was just streaming out of her both of them had HIV and both of them hadn't eaten for two days and it just absolutely broke me because I said to God this life is so unfair why was I born into a loving family I've got an education I've got a passport that can take me anywhere I've got choices where I get educated. I've got choices where I work. I wasn't born in a a people group that's unreached in a grass hut with HIV and and who won't live till they're three. Life just seems so unfair. Now, you might think that you're not rich, but you are. You really are. We have got so much. Our education alone puts us in the top 5% of the world. We will have to give account with what we've done with all that God's given us. Luke 12, verse 48. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. We have to rightly face the reality of our privilege. Not feel guilty, but take responsibility for all that God's given you. Don't be crippled by your insecurity or or comparison. But face the reality of our privilege. Our resources, our networks, our gifts, everyone in this room has got something that God's given them that they can use to make disciples and further the work of making disciples in unreached people groups. I don't know about what, what that is. and I don't want to tell you what that is. Because I'm not going to have to answer to that when I uh, meet Jesus. I have to answer to what he's told me and what he's given me. So before you kind of continue the rest of your service, I just want to pray and give you some moments where it's just you and Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit to really search your heart and speak to you about anything that's really resonating through his word today. Father, we thank you that you sent your son. We thank you that we can have life. We thank you that we have hope hope for today, and hope for eternity. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, strengthen us, strengthen our resolve to keep going. Speak to us about our gifts. Show us what we can do. Deliver us from our insecurities, Lord. Lord, help us to partner with you. And pray this in your Son's name.